0: Paul writes, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Well, I wonder if you're a fan of the game, would you rather? It's of course where you're presented with, with two different options and you need to decide which one you prefer. Often the choices aren't straightforward. Uh, Would you rather smell like onions or eat onions every day? Uh, Would you rather be a genius and know everything or be amazing at every activity you ever tried? Or uh, one for the Star Wars fans, Uh, would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? Uh, The answer isn't always easy or always easy. The answer is not. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've studied 2 Timothy, and we've seen Paul, the writer of this letter, sorry about that, that's a terrible joke. Uh, (laughs) uh, We've seen Paul, the writer of this letter, writing from prison, urging Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel or of Paul, its messenger. And as we come to the end of the first chapter, Paul poses a bit of a would-you-rather a question for Timothy. He, he does something that was common in ancient writing to illustrate the point that he has been making. He presents Timothy with two real life examples of how those who claimed to follow Jesus had responded to Paul's imprisonment. Uh, he gives one negative and one positive example. It's clear that they are situations that Timothy Is already well aware of Paul's not dispensing new information here in these verses he's raising these two very different responses and essentially saying to Timothy would you rather he's asking Timothy which camp is he going to identify with those who are ashamed of Paul and the gospel or those who are unashamed And of course, this isn't just a question that applied to Timothy, it's a question that applies to us today. We're still faced with the same dilemma when it comes to whether or not we choose to be ashamed of the gospel and God's messengers. And so we're just going to look at each example, the negative and the positive, and we're going to ask ourselves the question would you rather? Who are we going to identify with when the going gets tough? And the first example we read about are two figures who, when the going got tough, they got as far away from Paul as they possibly could. If you look with me at verse 15, Paul writes, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are phygellus and Hermogenes." Now, Paul hadn't literally been deserted by everyone. Uh, He'll go on to speak in this passage about Onesiphorus, who clearly stood with him. And there were others, including Timothy, who still stood by Paul. So not literally everyone in Asia had turned away from him. But so many had. So many had deserted him, that it felt at times as though he was abandoned by everyone. Uh, We've seen over the last couple of weeks that in that shame and honor culture, Paul's status as a prisoner was an incredibly shameful situation to be in. And to identify with Paul, to stand with him, was to share in his shame. It's the way that cancel culture works today. If someone is cancelled on social media, anyone who comes to their defence or looks to offer sympathy, well, they can expect the same treatment. And so the temptation is to step away, to distance ourselves from the one who's facing hostility. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. And what made it so painful was that even some who were prominent in the church had distanced themselves. And Paul names two of them, Phygelus and Hermogenes, two figures in the church who were obviously well-established enough that they were known to Timothy. Uh, Maybe they were elders of churches who were known and respected as leaders. Maybe they'd served with Paul. Clearly, they had been close to Paul at one time, but when the crisis hit, they turned away. They didn't want to be infected by the same contagion, the same shameful contagion that Paul was carrying. They didn't want to be cancelled as well. Paul was suffering as well as the shame of imprisonment, and the loss of so many who'd once called themselves friends, he was facing execution by the Roman state. And Phygelus and Hermogenes and those they led decided that associating with Paul was a price that was just too high to pay. Of course, in reality, they would never have put it like that. No doubt they blamed Paul For his situation. Perhaps they saw his suffering as proof that his message was false. We've already seen in this letter that to be ashamed of Paul was akin to be ashamed, being ashamed of the gospel message that he proclaimed. The gospel that had led to his chains. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, a crucified saviour, was a message that was derided in that pagan culture. The idea that something as shameful as a crucified Jewish peasant could be the source of salvation, it sounded utterly ridiculous. And there were those in the church who no longer wished to identify with such a shameful message. And we'll see as we go on in this letter that some taught that the resurrection had already happened, that the Christian should already be experiencing resurrection life, and that suffering ought to be a thing of the past. It was a far more attractive message for their culture. And so Paul's suffering was evidence, as far as they were concerned, that he was in the wrong for not buying into their health and wealth prosperity message. And that kind of false teaching would have contributed to the pile-on coming from so-called Christians who shook their head in Paul's direction as a failed leader, If they were around today, no doubt Phygellus and Hermogenes, they would be posting their blogs about the 10 lessons we can learn from Paul's shameful imprisonment. Paul was in an extremely lonely position. Not only was he facing the persecution of the Roman state, he had to do so while experiencing abandonment and hostility from those who would call themselves followers of Christ and who would have once called themselves his friends. And yet they responded no differently to his imprisonment than the pagan culture around them. And as Paul reminds Timothy of Phygelus and Hermogenes, he's saying to him, what about you, Timothy? Will you abandon me as well? Will you be too ashamed to stand with me? Will you keep your head down to avoid taking any heat yourself? Will you be joining in with the pile on? And it's the same question that we need to ask ourselves today. The Christian message is often seen as unwelcome in our society, and there are times when Christians... And Christian leaders face intense hostility for remaining faithful. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this. When the going gets tough, will we stand with them? Or will we turn away? Will we risk shame and disgrace? Or will our response be no different from our culture? Will we just join in with the pile on? in an effort to justify our own position, will we find a reason to say, ah, well, they deserved it. Phygelus and Hermogenes, no doubt, they, they believed that they were on the right side of history when it came to their response to Paul's imprisonment. In an effort to avoid shame and disgrace, they turned away from Paul. And no doubt, they met with their culture's approval at the time. But 2,000 years later, the only reason that we know their names is because in his time of need, they deserted Paul, a faithful messenger of Christ. Their desertion, it may have gained them short-term approval, but it earned them long-term shame. And it's such a contrast to the other response to Paul's message and Paul's imprisonment that we see in this passage. The response of Onesiphorus, if you look with me at verse 16. Paul writes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. As painful as it must have been for Paul to be deserted by Phygelus and Hermogenes, he was greatly refreshed by the love and concern shown by Onesiphorus. Imagine what a comfort that must have been to Paul to have a brother in the faith come alongside him and identify with him at a time when so many had deserted him. Unlike those who'd turned away from him, Paul could say of Onesiphorus that he was not ashamed His chains. Onesiphorus was willing to risk his own reputation, his own safety, to identify with Paul despite the shame of his imprisonment. He wasn't afraid to be cancelled for standing with a minister of the gospel. And it wasn't a one off visit to Paul's prison. Paul refers to the fact that Onesiphorus often refreshed him. His support and his encouragement were ongoing. He repeatedly went to Paul. He repeatedly took risks to minister to him. And he did it at great personal cost. It's clear from this passage that Paul was not an easy guy to find at this point. Onesiphorus had to conduct a major search to track Paul down. Verse 17, But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. And found me so paul at this point is not under some house arrest or in a prominent prison no the fact that onesiphorus had to search for him earnestly it tells us that by this point he would have been in the darkest hole in rome Onesiphorus would have searched from dungeon to dungeon, trying to pick a wretched-looking Paul out of the filth-covered, rag-clothed prisoners who'd been left to rot till their execution. No doubt he would have had day after day after day of frustration and disappointment before he finally managed to locate Paul amidst the darkness and stench of an overcrowded Roman cell. Yet he never gave up the search. He was willing to sacrifice time, energy, reputation in his earnest search for Paul. That's how much he loved this faithful messenger of Christ. His love for Paul meant that he was willing to endure suffering for his sake. And what I love about Onesiphorus was that this wasn't some isolated incident. He didn't just push the boat out for this prominent church leader. No, he was known for his sacrificial love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 18... And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Onesiphorus was well known for all his service in the church at Ephesus. He was well known for being a blessing to his church family, for being willing to count others more significant than himself so that the church could be built up. Here was a guy who was an incredible blessing, not only to a suffering church leader, but to his church family. And here he is, remembered 2,000 years later for his love and his care and his sacrifice for his fellow believers. A servant-hearted Christian who wasn't ashamed of Paul or the gospel message he proclaimed. I don't know about you, but I find that a pretty awe-inspiring example of what it looks like to be a healthy church member. Someone who recognizes that with Christian leadership comes suffering and goes out of their way to encourage and refresh their leaders. Someone who takes the initiative to minister to those who are ministering to them. I wonder if that's something that you think of when it comes to interacting with your church leaders. You know, church leaders uh, have an incredible responsibility, an incredible privilege, and I know from firsthand experience as I look at our leaders, and I see the incredible amount of time, and energy, and sacrifice that the elders of this church and their wives pour into loving and serving the members of this church. I hear their prayers. I know the weight of responsibility that they carry and the deep love that they have for each of you. And they don't do it for thanks. They do it because of their love that they have for the people that God has placed under their care. But anyone in that position, they need encouragement. They need ongoing refreshment from their church family. They need prayer and understanding. They need to know that when the going gets tough, those that they are ministering to are right there with them in the trenches, spurring them on. So it's a great thing to do, to follow the example of Onesiphorus, to to take the initiative to seek them out and encourage them, whether it's a text or an email or a face-to-face. Ask them how you can pray for them, how you can help them in their task. Onesiphorus is a prime example of what it looks like to, in practice to bless those given positions of Christian leadership. But he's also a prime example of what it looks like to bless your fellow Christians. Notice he was known for all his service. He was someone who sought to bless his church family in all kinds of ways. In this letter we have one church leader writing to another and they both knew well all the service Onesiphorus had rendered in Ephesus. What a testimony that is to his character and his love and his practical care for his fellow Christians. That he was known beyond his own church family for his service. He was known for counting others more significant than himself. He was known for the ways in which he sought to build up the church so that it could reflect more and more the beauty of its Savior. And when God's people love each other like that, the world... Gets to see something that is so countercultural, that is so unusual, and yet so attractive that it draws them to see something of the beauty of the one at the heart of our church, the Lord Jesus. And it's when people see the love of Jesus shaping his church, it's then that lives are transformed. On Ociferous, he loved like Jesus loved. He loved sacrificially, even when it wasn't convenient. He chose to serve, even when he didn't feel like it. He loved and served those who sometimes didn't love him back. He was ready to serve wherever the need arose. He was a great blessing to his leaders and a great blessing to his fellow church members. But most of all, in this context, he was someone who wasn't ashamed of the gospel or of Paul, its messenger. And Paul's prayer for Onesiphorus is there in verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Onesiphorus risked shame and persecution for his identification with Paul. But Paul's prayer was that whatever temporary suffering Onesiphorus might have to endure, he would know the blessing of God's eternal mercy on Christ's return. And by reminding Timothy of Onesiphorus, Paul is saying, will you be like Onesiphorus, Timothy? Will you be willing to risk your own reputation to identify with me in my chains, even if it means shame and disgrace? Will you be unashamed of the gospel Will you love and serve God's people as you minister to to them, even at great personal cost, even if your faithfulness leads to suffering? And that's really the question we need to ask ourselves today. Who would we rather be identified with? Would we rather be identified with Phygelus and Hermogenes, avoiding the shame of the gospel for short-term approval? Or will we be identified with Onesiphorus? Are we willing to live lives that are unashamed of the gospel and its messengers? Lives that are characterized by the sacrificial love of our Savior. The one who endured suffering for the sake of his people. Who was willing to bear the shame and humiliation of the cross so that anyone who trusts in him can know what it is to experience freedom from shame and the sure and certain hope of eternal glory. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for the example of Onesiphorus and for the love that he had for you and the love that he had for Paul and your church. Um, Lord, we are conscious of ways, many ways, in which uh, we fall well short. Lord, in our own strength, we can't possibly love like Jesus loved. But we thank you that just as Onesiphorus would have relied on your spirit and your power at work within him, that we share in the same spirit that we have your spirit at work in us to strengthen us and enable us to love and, and serve you and to love and serve one another. I pray, Lord God, that, that our church family would be a place where um, the sacrificial love for one another would ring out in this community. That anyone who comes in contact with us would see the, the beauty of Jesus Christ at work in the lives of his people and that they would long to know him too. Lord, as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would remind us afresh of the forgiveness and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and the glorious hope of eternal life that we have in him. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.